podcast. Thanks for this doing is a cool, this. Uh, I, I haven't seen um, Riverside. It's cool. Yeah, it's, it's a couple of guys at Amsterdam who who started it, and uh, I mean, it's me and Hillary Clinton on Riverside, so I'm in good company. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's a nice um, user interface. Yeah, and then they've been they're changing it up like all the time, which is really which is really fun as a sort of fellow startup guy. Yeah. Sort of be part of that, you know. Okay, the you know the interface changed like literally a couple of days ago, <laughs> and really. I was like, oh shit, where where's the show and where's everything? And you know, so it's uh, it's fun. It's, it's really cool. And you have have you started recording it by the way? Yeah, it's live. We're, so this is the show. We're on the we're yeah, on the yeah. Show. It was, it's ready. We're going. <laughs> I was, was going to dig into like, oh, how does it work with like recording podcasts on this? Maybe I'll use this for my podcast, but we can well, save the, that for the, after. The funny thing is that like the funny <laughs> thing is like I'm 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 recording on my Zoom. So I have like a backup and the backup is started and then I'm going to start like the the recording on this. Yeah. Um, so I, there's no video. There's just this. Uh, I mean, I have a backup audio file just in case because that happened in like one of the shows because I'm new with this, right? I'm not, I'm not you who's been doing this for a couple of years. I'm like, I'm like, oh, shit. So I recorded the whole show and then there was no audio. This this wasn't yeah. working. No, I've been there before, too. So I was like, fuck, OK, that's not going to happen again. So I'm like, OK, I just have a backup and most of that's going to be not yeah. being used anyway so but i'll just it's so much easier when you like go into a studio and you have a, a sound engineer who just deals with all of this stuff yeah and i think like these numbers are coming up now so there's something that's going to happen in a second that's the thing with the software it's like did you see some numbers on your screen as well yeah it was counting down i, I think actually it was counting down to recording no? yeah, yeah so now it's recording on this as well so now we got now we got I see. like a backup in case the internet decides to not work with either of us right now so yeah and then, and then it's yeah so that's fun, but cool, man. but Daniel, like I know we've been we've been like kind of kind of friends here and there for a bit, but this is insane yeah, for me. Friends, yeah, this is insane for me because because <laughs> I mean I don't think I told you this before, but the Entrepreneurs was like one of my first ever proper podcasts, like that I used to mm. really listen to. It was it was the Entrepreneurs. It was Joe Rogan. It was the Tim Ferriss exp uh, whatever experiment no, the show, and. That was it. And, and it's kind of like crazy to have you on my, I can't even call it a show, but whatever this is, this is awesome. Yeah, it's, a show. it's it's fun to have you. You put, you put me you put among, uh, where's my hundred million dollars? Like Joe Rogan, I want that. No, nah, give, give, me a, give me a couple of years. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> no, well, but I'm happy is, to be on the show though, man. Yeah, pleasure. This is so much fun. And, and, and I mean, I know you a little bit and I think, you know, it's, it's a fun, I mean, when you have someone like you on, who's kind of a media guy, you work mm -hmm. in media for I don't know how many years, it's always interesting where to start. Um, but I want to start with um, something quite specific. The last time we met was in London. You had this awesome handmade, like not maybe it's not handmade, the Scottish book. It's kind of this diary that you were using. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you're still using the same ones, but I remember, I, I, but I forgot the name. And I couldn't find and I couldn't find this brand. And I was like, I need this awesome sort of non moleskin, you know, small business yeah. kind of kind of company. But but that's a weird place to start. I know. But I just remembered that I was like, you always have the coolest, not niche, but coolest, smaller brands. And it's always been your thing, I guess, in some way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's a cool brand. It's like it's not um, it's not one of those like hipster brands. It's actually just an, a brand that's been co-opted by people who like good things but it's a waterproof notebook yeah it's a scottish thing um I, I literally forgot the name of that um notebook brand but it's um 
they're really cheap. It's like five quid for, for a small notebook and they're waterproof and it's just a cool company. Yeah. Wow. No, I um, mean, yeah. if you think of the name later, we'll put it in the show notes, but I think, I think it's just, it's just one of the things which has always been interesting about you, you know, kind of since the beginning was that it was always in an unexpected way. You were like down to earth. I don't want to make it sound weird, but, but like, yeah. I remember when I, when I, when I sort of used to work at Monocle for a while and I remember when I sort of first of all heard the podcast, which you which you were running for for I don't know how many years, many years. It was like okay, so it's Monocle, which is very British in my mind. You have this American guy running a show, and I'm like, <laughs> and then you had Marcus Hippie doing the the menu food show. So it, was, it always gave me like a fun uh, fun vibe of what you guys were doing. So how did how did all that come about? The early, how did you end up moving from the states to London, and you're still in London now? So yeah. Um... Well, I came over in 2010 um, for grad school. Um, I did my master's in war studies at King's College London. So basically, I, I studied international relations in the States. Um, wanted to, you know, whatever, join the State Department or join some NGO or move overseas and work in some embassy. So I, I came over here to London. Um, I'm from New York. And I did my one-year master's in terrorism conflict studies studied farsi i did all this crazy shit wow. thinking that i was going to go back to the states and kind of join the state department or whatever i didn't um i stayed in london uh, i've been here for the last it's been over 10 years now um and yeah i stumbled into media i, I mean i never really wanted to become a, a quote unquote journalist or reporter or editor or anything like that um i was just really interested in um that publication you were talking about, Monocle, I mean, I liked them way back in the day, um, and I still do. And I, I joined them as a researcher in 2011. And that's basically how I got into podcasting. They kind of just gave me a show 10 years ago. Um, and, well, it was a bit more complicated than that. But I, I, I got given the reins to a show, and I kind of ended up hosting this thing for seven years, six years, and um, interviewing awesome founders around the world. It was kind of a dream gig. Yeah, it was... It was it was also really fun for us as listeners because it, it really felt because monocle used to be I, I think the magazine is still quite polished but it's a very sort of polished feeling around everything around the brand and not to say that the podcast wasn't polished but it, it felt a lot more real it just felt like yeah. the kinds of guests you had on um were off the beaten path a little bit it wasn't sort of yeah. okay elon musk's doing five interviews and he's going to do the sixth one because I'm sure you guys could have gotten, you know, the top, top guys. And you had some very kind of iconic, uh, iconic entrepreneurs on as well. But I remember sort of one episode. I don't, I don't know the exact entrepreneur right now. It's been a while. But, but I remember where I was listening to it in a train from Amsterdam to Rotterdam. And, and the episode before was someone everybody knew about. It was really, you know, someone famous. I don't remember exactly who. But the next episode was like this unknown guy whose story was amazing. And I said, wow, okay, this is kind of cool. <laughs> you know, and I think that that kind of, um, that's what I love about podcasting as well is, is just, you know, you never know whose story gets to you and whose story inspires you to do something interesting. So, yeah. And it's, often it's those people who are most interesting, right? I mean, nobody really needs to hear another podcast with one of these like tech bros who everybody talks about and everybody knows and, you know, on the cover of whatever, Forbes, Inc., I mean, it's the people who you're like, oh, holy shit, I've never heard of this person. And yet they have so much to to share with the world about their story that you could learn from. So, yeah, I like to I mean, I was kind of given free reign to do whatever the hell I wanted, basically. So I kind of just found these really interesting stories um, and brought them in the fold. And then, yeah, you know, way back in the day when we were doing it, 
you know, the tech world was still, I mean, I'm not old, but you know, it was 10 years ago and you could still get like, you know, the founders of, of Warby Parker or Kickstarter or like, you know, and they were still kind of new companies back then. It's hard to believe that now, but you know, we had on like Miguel from WeWork back when WeWork was still not really even a household name. Now, obviously all these people are like cover stars, but back then it was still a bit of like the wild west of that kind of, of that kind of stuff. And I think it's a good point. And how's that sort of transition been for you from the outside in? having seen this sort of nascent industry transform into this media darling or, or not darling, whatever you want to call it, right? Yeah. I mean, I've never really been a like a tech no. guy. I mean, I, I, you know, I find interesting things in the quote unquote tech world. And obviously I know that's a huge, I mean, what is tech really? But um, I've always been much more interested in like, you know, the the woman who like started a cool brick and mortar store and built a really successful business without taking on venture capital and um you know i know that puts me in a bit of an anachronistic place in like the business media world um and that's part of what you know monocle and now you know courier where i work for um who i work for does pretty well i mean we don't kind of pray at the altar of elon musk as it were um I still find people like that incredibly interesting and impressive. I mean, holy shit, Elon Musk, what, you know, what has he built over his life? It's impressive, but, you know, we, we know his story. Yeah, and I think I, I definitely want to talk about Courier because I think that's super, super cool with everything that's being done there. And and I think from my perspective, what I, what I see really is that in the early days, let's say 10 years ago, 12 years ago, tech was tech was not considered mainstream, right? It was it was coming about a, a long way, but Silicon Valley was Silicon Valley and and sort of you heard of all these places, but now we're we're living with these platforms, right? We're living with these apps and that that were built by some nerds yeah. somewhere and and I'm a nerd, so I'm allowed to say that. It's fine. <laughs> and 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 I think and I think kind of, you know, I, I go to I go to a lot of these, yeah. Well, before when, when we were allowed to go to these events and and we, we've met each other at a bunch of these fun uh, sort of conferences when they were when they were happening um, and I remember just you know seeing someone on stage who I know well who's a friend who you know and and kind of realizing this poor guy he doesn't like <laughs> people are expecting him to kind of be the messiah or something you know but he's just he's just I a know. developer who fell into a great idea and worked his ass or her ass off and, and then, you know, kind of they're in this position, but don't expect them to be Obama. Like that's not going to happen. Right. right. Like, and that's the thing we now turn to, and again, I have nothing against tech people or venture capitalists or any of that world, but we do turn to people who are really good at, um, investing in companies and, and making a return. And we expect them to be like Socrates and, you know, and they're not, <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, we've seen that during, covid you know yeah. oh mr vc in the bay area what do you think about you know whatever <laughs> epidemiology and it's like they shouldn't be expected to have a take on all of this stuff they're really good at what they do but they're not they're not the warrior monks of like you know a thousand years ago they're just investors and i think on that on that note there's something i want to sort of just kind of you know riff on a second because when you were talking about that a random thought came into my head which really pissed me off when i was a teenager um, I think the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games were coming to India 
and uh, instead of sort of the athletes that have won or accomplished something, it was these celebrity sort of film stars who were running, you know, with the, who would, I think it was the relay or the torch or whatever it was. And I remember just sort of feeling so angry almost because I love sports and I'm, I'm a fan of, of athletes and they should be given the credit. But because it's a media thing and it's an eyeballs game and it's a, you know, whatever's hot now game, right? Uh, then sort of yeah. the almost the wrong people, but who have the most eyeballs on them get given the credit. Have you, have you seen that happen being a media professional in, in other areas? Um, I mean, you see it sometimes just being on Twitter right now with um, just, <laughs> I, I was about to tweet something earlier today and I, I held back on it, but just like, I'm just, I'm so sick of just kind of what I mentioned earlier. I just like these, everybody has to have a take on everything. And a lot of people get credit for things they haven't done. And it's just like, I feel like business Twitter in particular has become like a cesspool of just like fortune cookie, empty wisdom, you know, time for a thread kind of stuff where it's like, and a lot of that is just so hollow and there's no real wisdom there. Just kind of like, um, yeah, inevitably people get credit for things that they had nothing to do with. I mean, you know, in the end of the day, I mean, again, it sounds like I have something against venture capitalists. I really don't. But like yep. a lot of times investors get credit for companies that founders, business owners build. Hmm. You know what I mean? And and I also think, right, like there's, there's, I have a lot of VC friends uh, who will probably not listen, who will not listen to this podcast because they have a lot of <laughs> things to do. Uh, <laughs> or they might, who knows? Um, they might. But I think, and some of them, right, are are just sort of pure venture capitalists, right? Like in the pure sense of the word, they started a company many years ago. They did well. They exited it. They put some of their own money in a fund. They got a bunch of limited partners, LPs together, who are also super rich individuals or pension funds, endowments, right? And then they have this sort of very simple old school way of working, like the two and 20 model, uh, which everyone works on. Like none of this is rocket science so far, right? It's just kind of, you kind of, you know, get to a point where you're in this position where you can support entrepreneurs that you think are gonna, you know, build something special. And all of that is amazing. I think all of that is is kind of, you know, one of the reasons why the tech industry is where it is, why we have all these innovations, right? That's That's awesome. But at the same time, <laughs> you have a bunch of VCs who copy paste everything this person has done into a nice website and they you know they worked in McKinsey nothing against McKinsey they worked <laughs> at, they worked at another consulting firm um, you know and and they have a lot of experience being great consultants super hard job I, I I did an internship at Bain back in the day it's it's 80 hour week minimum so yeah it's it's not easy but then sort of you know doing all of that and then coming into VC and there is a place for you know someone like that in VC you definitely need that but pretending to kind of be you know fortune tellers or future you know guarantees of future is like wait a minute you yeah. invested in twitter with like 50 other people like or right. 100 other people like calm down that was 10 years ago can we get over that already can we move on to something else you know and and if you were like one of the angels who who saw twitter as two people okay great amazing good job what else can we talk about something else can we talk about yeah besides uber or twitter can we talk about another company that you did something for and that didn't do so well as well? Let's talk about like the full picture. And you you all have a podcast anyway, so you might as well 
talk about the others yeah. right so yeah we sound like we're bitching about this but you know there, there's a little bit of it but yeah yeah no I, I totally see where you're coming from there um but you know the world still needs venture capitalists oh no totally and, and i and i think money to flow into. yeah and i think what's what's really just fun. the facade I, facade is kind of what's a bit like um yeah. hollow sometimes just the uh you know the the need to keep up pretenses of being like an all-seeing eye and an, you know some sort of oracle when they don't need to do that you know yeah. there's no real need for that and i and i do think it's a little little bit different in in sort of the the more um sort of harder industries so if it's a deep tech vc or a vc maybe in parts of europe where you know they're not as they don't need to be in front of the media as much and that's changing of course also but but anyway enough about vcs i think i think we got down a bit of a rabbit hole and, and you guys are great sure. vcs just just stop pretending to be messiahs right that's it that's right. <laughs> wrapping that up um i want to i really want to talk about courier media because great let's tell me the origin story how did it come about because I mean, I've been following your career for a bit, and tell me, tell me where it came from, and and where you guys are now, and and you know what's the journey has been like so far. So it, it began. Um, well, I mean, I first noticed it when I was working at uh, Monocle, um, and I said, "What's this really interesting free newspaper that you see in and around London cafes, all about small businesses?" Um, and it would it would be this kind of relatively thin, but like you know on on great paper stock, um, you know Courier big on the masthead on the cover, and it was all just about mostly the London uh, small business scene. It'd be great stories about small businesses um, in various sectors, everything from fashion to you know whatever um, to fintech. And um, I would always read it. I was always pick it up. And basically that's what it was. I mean it it was it founded it was founded in two thousand and thirteen. Um, and had a small team in East London, and they would just write great stories about businesses. And back then, whatever that was, seven, eight years ago, um, you know, that was like a really fresh thing. There was there weren't a lot of like media companies writing about small businesses. Again, it was all like TechCrunch, Mashable, you know, all of those guys. But there wasn't a lot of like the corner store, the restaurant business model. What's the margin on a flat white at, at a cafe? Like that kind of interesting stuff. Um, so that's what it did. It came out a couple times a year. I left my job at, um, and not to bring it back to me, but I left my job at Monocle, um, <laughs> and I, I hopped on, um, as deputy editor a couple of years back, three-ish, three and a half years ago. And, um, and we slowly grew it to be international in scope. Um, we put a cover price on it, five pounds. Um, it shrunk in size in terms of like the size of the physical thing, but it got thicker. Maybe, you know, it was like a proper 150 page magazine now. And sooner or later, we're, you know, in 40 countries around the world on the newsstand, um, literally everywhere from like Bangkok to whatever. Um, You're also in Copenhagen. Which, so I, I know. I, Copenhagen, I, I mean, yeah. I have, I have some friends who have a, who have a space in Nohound, uh, north of the city here, uh, where, which, which has a career as well. So that's really cool. Amazing. Really cool to see. Yeah. Distribution up. really like skyrocketed kind of globally. So it's, and the whole thing just became a global magazine, not a London focused magazine. And, um, and the idea behind it is that, you know, our, our tagline is stories of modern business. Um, which by that we mean, again, not just tech, not just that kind of stuff that you're used to, not so-and-so raised a series C it's kind of like, 
hear are really interesting stories of people quitting their jobs. You know, the lawyer who left their, you know, her job to launch a streetwear brand. Um, what's the cost involved in that? How does that work? How do you grow that? Um, so you could say that's like, you know, side hustles and following your dreams and all that great stuff. I mean, we want to, our, our goal is really to like be the first step of someone who leaves their job and wants to start something new. You know, we inspire them, we give them inspiration, we give them education, we give them tips and uh, education. Yeah, because it's so and, much more um, than just, it's so much yeah. more than just a magazine now, right? Because I remember uh, pre-pandemic, yeah. you guys were also doing events and workshops and there was, there was, wasn't there some stuff sure. like that? Yeah. 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 So it was the magazine at first and then we, I mean, we've always had events actually, um, but the, you know, it slowly grew into a, you know, a proper multifaceted media company. We had podcasts, um, we had events, um, uh, you know, we do all sorts of things. Obviously the pandemic has put a, a stop to some of the events, but um, we did have an annual event called Courier Live that, you know, had thousands of people come, three stages, really interesting talks and, and workshops and stuff. Um, so, I mean, the goal, and it still remains, is to become like the place to go for small business um, insights and education and inspiration. Um, and, you know, a big part of that journey in the last year has been we got acquired um, by MailChimp. So uh, I don't know how many people know that, but MailChimp bought Courier uh, about just about a year ago, actually, to the day. Um, so we're now part of the uh, the MailChimp family, um, doing still doing what we do, um, just part of a you know part of a company that really is obsessed with small businesses. Wow, that's congratulations on that. And I mean, I I, I did know about it. That was my next question. So. So you set it up perfectly. <laughs> um, and I mean, I, I don't know how much of the process you were involved in personally, but but how has that been, that transition from being independent for, what is it, seven years, six, seven years before you guys uh, got, before before it was bought? How's that been? It's been great. Um, honestly, they're, they're just really great guys. Um, at Mailchimp and um, and I mean Mailchimp is one of those one of the few tech companies that I think it was I think it's still bootstrapped if if not I mean you can't really say is. bootstrapped anymore like they're I mean they're making I don't know how many millions a minute or something right I don't even <laughs> I don't want to think about that no it's a giant company but they they're bootstrapped they're um, yeah. the two founders I believe I'm not misspeaking when I you know, when they own the company um, I don't yeah. think they've raised outside investment. Um, so it's a perfect match. I mean, for us, we have a much bigger platform to tell the stories we want to tell. Um, and, you know, and we still remain exactly what we are. We tell stories of small businesses doing cool things. We help inspire would-be small business owners to kind of like do cool things. So, Yeah, and also uh, it definitely seems like a light touch externally speaking because trying to sort of, I went on the website doing some research and, and, the only thing I see is the beautiful uh, logo of Mailchimp right next to your logo, all the way at the, at the bottom. So it's like oh, that's that's yeah. to me is very it's a very good sign that you know it's not it's not a Dropbox um, acquiring a company and then killing it situation, which is uh, awesome to hear. Not at all. Yeah, <laughs> it's the yeah it's the opposite of that. I mean, yeah, we we've done um the branding team's done a great job of kind of incorporating yeah. um both of our stuff and um that so, little Freddie logo, which is the their Mailchimp. 
the chimp. What is it uh, called? Sorry, itself. Freddy. Oh, is that what it's called? Um, that's, that's the name, name of the. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, we don't have a name for the pigeon, but um, we put them together. And, um, that's beautiful. And yeah, man, it's been it's been a really, it's been a really. Um, I don't want to say it's been a great year because obviously the pandemic. But in terms of, um, you know, joining forces with those guys, uh, it's been great. Yeah, and and in terms of, I, I want to just talk a bit more about Mailstream, and then we'll move over to the pandemic <laughs> in a second. Uh, but I think you said you know you sort of are partnering together how much how much of that is actually happening are, are you is some of the courier content being placed on certain mailchimp uh, assets or how how i mean just just talk us through is, is there any collaboration on the external side um happening in terms of content i mean all of courier's content is um or at least a lot of it is on the mailchimp side right now if you go to mailchimp.com slash courier, you'll see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of our kind of articles. A lot of it is archived stuff, but um, but a, a whole lot of it is just, it's a daily, weekly updated site. Um, so we're just constantly putting up new stuff. Um, and we'll continue to kind of evolve that site as like the home of all of our content. We'll still actually, if you notice, if you go to couriermedia.com, that's still our homepage kind of on the, on the net as it were. Uh, and that's where you can subscribe to the magazine. You can kind of sign up to the podcasts, do all that stuff. Um, the shop, our shop is there. Um, but the home of our content is that, is that MailChimp now? Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, I run the editorial team here. I mean, me and my, my colleague, Ben, who's the managing editor. Um, and we all produce kind of just great stuff. And we put it up on the, I mean, in terms of like, the, the connection between us two it's really we're still doing the same thing we've always done there's no um there's no uh nefarious anything at all there's no kind of like directives of things to write or what to do we're still literally doing the same thing that we've always done which is fantastic it doesn't always happen when you kind of um get bought by another company yeah that's 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 special and it's also really nice to hear because um yeah. personally speaking I've, I've just seen this happen too many times you know really really great products started by someone with a vision and you know a small team uh grown to a, a good sized team and then bought over by a company uh just to kind of be either killed or you know kind of uh rip totally take the soul is taken out of the company so to speak in the product but it's nice to see the mailchimp uh, mailchimp's doing a good job there um the pandemic <laughs> um i want to i want to take an angle for <laughs> the pandemic <laughs> I mean, this is the thing where this show for me is about sitting down with friends and drinking. That's the real point of the show. But I'm doing everything remote now, so it's really annoying because it's like, I just want to day drink. <laughs> no, but, no, but I think one of the questions was that that was on top of mind is that, you know, has your has the, has your daily sort of work life shifted a lot during during the, the pandemic and, and how's that affected you? Because I think everyone's working from home, of course, but but you know how much how much of a difference was that for you? Yeah, I mean, it was a well at, at first. I think like everybody was like, "Ooh, like snow day, we get to work at home." Um, and then it soon became. I mean, for those of us who have family or you know partners, or whatever, in a cramped space, it was like, "Oh shit, this is this is gonna last for a long time." <laughs> um, so I was in a pretty small flat. Um, 
with my wife when it first hit um, and we were both working together literally in like the same room in a small flat. So we've since actually moved flats to some place where we have a bit more room. But Courier, I mean, like every company I imagine or most companies, yeah, we're, we're remote. Um, we used to have a small loft in uh, East London, Spitalfields, um, oh, nice. which has been empty for a while. Yeah. Um, but we haven't gotten in there in God knows how many months. So it is difficult, I think, to... I mean, I imagine everybody would would agree with this, but it's just like collaborating over Zoom. It's just it's just difficult, right? It just and especially when you make a physical thing like we do. I mean, we increasingly do a lot of digital stuff now, but you know, we used to make a physical magazine where you literally print out things, put it on a wall, shift it around, and now it's like, yikes! How do we do that digitally? Yeah, that. I mean, I think there's a lot of really cool innovations, of course, coming out uh, to sort of make make it more than uh, you know real life meetings on zoom uh yeah. sort of and my wife uh, started working for a finnish company and the entire process the hiring process was, was all on zoom she hasn't met her boss she's the country manager for for denmark there and they're in a bunch of countries and and she hadn't met her team yet <laughs> it's like it's and, but and i think now uh, denmark copenhagen's uh allows i think a couple of people to sort of be i think there's some it's a little i think it's a bit bit better than london in terms of of uh, what's going on uh but what are the rules in london right now is it all i mean because i stopped watching the news because i was like i'm just going to talk to friends who live in these countries <laughs> that might be a better yeah. way of figuring out what's actually going on yeah it's lockdown right now um yeah. it's the third lockdown um the third national lockdown so uh which means theoretically everybody stays in their house unless they need to go to the shop or whatever or exercise um but but to be brutally honest i mean if you go outside it's like there's no lockdown it's kind of um i mean store wise all the stores are still closed uh, all the non-essential stores um but if you go to like a quote-unquote like tourist area like borough market or a south bank or whatever it's like there's no pandemic it's crazy um that being said uh boris just announced a kind of an easing of all, all of this stuff um and a timeline so gradually it's gonna you know there's light at the end of the tunnel hopefully if everything goes to plan um june is when all of the measures get lifted so it's like literally the world goes back to normal in june uh well i mean let's see if that actually happens yeah fingers crossed right hopefully the yeah yeah. I mean, the British government is committed to a lot of dates over the past year. And then, you know, we were promised a Christmas um, and then like days before it was kind of taken away. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, kind of nuts. What about in um, in Denmark? Because I remember we did a, a feature. Um, uh, we interviewed some like cool restaurant owners in, in Copenhagen a while what? back in uh, like Apollo, like Freddie, um, oh, yeah, Frederick. Cool. Yeah. And, and it seemed like things were kind of normal there, but yes. now I know it's back to yeah. there was a rise, right? Yeah. So summer was, I mean, summer was amazing, right? Summer was 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 crazy good in a way, and um, yeah, I have a bunch of friends in the restaurant industry, restaurant industry here as well, and and you know they're like they're suffering like crazy, like like everywhere else in the world, of course, but but summer kind of gave everybody a big opportunity to sort of you know almost back to normal. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and and the restaurants were full again and you know, there was of course you know all the restrictions and everything were in place uh, and then everything's been shut down for a while now so i think um and at yesterday i think it was yesterday 
uh, there was a press conference uh, where the government announced that everything's going to be shut down again till April. So, yeah, it's there's I mean, there there uh, one of the episodes uh, which I'm going to I'm going to air, I think I think this week if not early next week is uh, with something called Bowline which um which is a it's 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 kind of a non-profit meets like an open source thing, uh, a bunch of restaurateurs and industry people have gotten together uh to to build an open source kind of platform I'm using as a as a very non-tech word here uh, for restaurateurs and people in the restaurant industry to figure out wh- what exactly is going on and the uh, the three yeah. the three guys who started it um were on I had them on the podcast and that was really fun uh Matt Orlando the chef of Amas uh, restaurant he was he's one of the guys as well as a guy called Eric who's this super smart professor from CBS and and he was the first guy to swear on the show which was really fun <laughs> which is really fun and and we have this guy a christian who's uh, who's uh, got an awesome wine bar when you when, when you come down to copenhagen post pandemic we'll go visit it it's uh, so i mean and i think it's just there's there's such a need to innovate now right like how how what are you seeing in the small business world i mean how is the i mean the pandemic must have had a crazy tough blow on some of them but what do you see what are you noticing that's happening yeah i mean it seems like every hospitality business has had to pivot and adapt i mean we had as soon as everything kicked off we kind of started this um uh podcast called the courier daily where literally every day for like four months i was interviewing um small business owners who had to pivot and adapt and it was just kind of like you know a billion stories of the i was a restaurant and i turned into a grocery store or um whatever i've had to do delivery very quickly and you know um there's so many countless stories of that or, or you know i i had to pivot to online education um yeah i mean it god i'm i'm i can only feel for the small business owners especially you know now it's like you're a restaurant you've been closed for like the better part of a year i mean how on earth are those guys dealing day by day not even like staying open but like mental health just because it's like you you have no idea what your business is going to be like in a couple months yeah. um, let alone tomorrow that's exactly what what matt on the, said on the podcast that this bowline group has been has been a place for him to just talk to someone <laughs> about these issues yeah and because there's a lot of restaurateurs that are kind of part of the platform now um, uh, from Copenhagen, but also all around the world who kind of, you know, are involved. So it's I can only imagine kind of my the, my friends who are in the industry are having such a t- such a tough time. And and of course, they're trying to pivot and innovate and, you know, try new things. But but there's only so much you can do with these with these regulations right these days. And I think yeah. if your restaurant, it's just delivery or even like outside seating, if you're allowed to do it, I mean, that's still not going to bring in, I mean, I shouldn't speak for all restaurants, but I wouldn't think that's going to bring in as much as, you know, uh, whatever, like four different seating, three different seatings a night or whatever like that for, for dinner and, and in, instead of packaged. And I mean, you know this, right? Like there's so many restaurants that have invested, I mean, insane amounts of money in the in the architecture in the interior design because it's an experience you're not just getting you know steak or whatever there's so much around it and and it's such a manpower intensive industry there's uh, there's so many people employed um and all that is shut down (laughs) it's like okay you know it's it's just a different ball game going from that to having like a 
what is it called like the night kitchen or whatever what are those called the kitchens that are yeah dark kitchen there we go it's like it's a, it's a very different thing it's sort of you know so yeah dark kitchens ghost kitchens is that the future i don't know i mean god i hope it's not. Some, uh, there's uh, so many of them now that it's like in some basement somebody's cooking up food for like six different restaurants um you know it's like i mean london especially must be must be way more because it's a it's, lot of them. yeah i mean it's if you go delivery and you're like oh i've never heard of this restaurant before and then you like google it and it's like it doesn't really exist it kind of just exists on instagram and then you wonder like i mean some of these places are actually legit there's like ghost kitchen dark kitchen kind of like proper big kitchens that like different restaurants can use and and rent you know stoves and stuff and cook cool stuff uh and there's some legitimate companies that are just dark that you know they have five different brands but they don't really exist where you could go in and eat and th that's kind of interesting but you know if the whole world becomes just a place where none of these places exist there's a piece in new york magazine a couple days ago about this like the case against ghost kitchens um which i would yeah i would recommend you read it's really good um is that the future of restaurants i don't know or if a year from now will everything just be back to normal and yeah we would have lost two-thirds of all restaurants and it would have been absolutely horrific and traumatic but like eating itself like eating at restaurants itself will that go back to normal amid the carnage i don't know yeah and i also think you know what I mean? like, we have like short like sorry I, feel, I don't know if, like we have short memories and that like yeah. um every time something bad happens it's like this is the end of events forever well is that i don't know is that true in two years will we still have like web summit with like seventy thousand people sitting shoulder to shoulder maybe um yeah. or has this permanently affected like those type of things i don't know i'm not i'm yeah. not a sage no and i, I mean i also think sort of just because I just go back to this, this conversation I had with Matt uh, when I had him on my, on my podcast last year. It was he told me the margins in the restaurant industry, and I was just shocked that it's less than fifty. Like fifty percent is a crazy good margin. Apparently, it's only fifteen, twenty, thirty percent. And oh, and yeah, and it was such a surprise to me. And I said, you know, and I think to me, in in a funny way, I feel that these dark kitchens or ghost kitchens, right, will create a new asset class in the restaurant industry. It's going to be you know the 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 street food vendor, uh, ghost kitchen, um, you know all of these different types of uh, places you can get food, and then when you go to a real restaurant, you get the experience. Like that's what I'm hoping. You know, yeah. uh, you know, part part of me hopes that um, we're able to create more understanding. You know, with the general public that eats out. You know that there's different forms of 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 levels of quality so to speak and i think you know i, I know i know this as well because we're both fans of coffee as well and uh, and i think kind of well i'm i'm a fan of coffee i'll speak for myself um one my, yeah one of my favorite uh one of my favorite cafes in the city um prologue uh down the road from my my little studio i'm in right now they they had a tough time so did everybody else but but to me it's just it's just funny to say that you know a prologue who cares so much about the coffee bean uh the experience the training everything to make uh whatever three four dollar flat white and then starbucks charges four dollars for a flat white and it's like you know there's there's clearly there's a difference in quality and service here but still we we're used to we're used to the price i don't know there's something there to be to be done i guess yeah, yeah. totally but you're a fan of blue bottle aren't you 
Well, the thing is that I, I, I am like, I'm one of the, <laughs> uh, and I think again, it's one of those things. I actually have never sort of had the chance to really, really go to a blue bottle because I, I couldn't travel to the U.S. for the longest time because I, I didn't get my U.S. visa approved for a, a very long time. Thanks to, thanks to Trump uh, and his, and his updated rules of, of tourism. Oh, I know. Just yeah. yeah. But then, um, I, yeah. but then just before the, <laughs> but just before the pandemic i got my like because i got my 10-year tourist visa so i can i can visit the u.s anytime in the next whatever seven eight years now and it's like i can't wait like can the pandemic be over again so i can finally go you know hang out with all my friends in the u.s well yeah. let's see when that happens right who knows i know yeah but no blue bottle is fun I, I, I think they've done a good job and you know i mean we both know we both know tony a little bit uh and and a bunch of other awesome investors that put i mean like he's he's one of the good investors i think like he's just quiet does sure. his work you know uh wears his awesome watches and, and sneakers and you know does his awesome <laughs> does his thing yeah, yeah that's, the, that's the thing you don't anyway we don't have to get back into that but no, yeah no. you don't always have to shout about no um, no yeah what you do things. yeah i want to i want to talk about you know sort of you mentioned it briefly, you know, having having your having your your wife and you living in the same apartment, and uh, you know all the issues that come with uh, working and spending twenty four hours together. How has the relationship situation been during the <laughs> pandemic? We're going deep here. You you were not expecting this, but we're going to do this. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we actually got married right uh, right before. Congratulations! We haven't spoken since that happened, so congrats, yeah. man. Thank Welcome you. to the yes, club. We, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, that's true. We got married in February 2020. So um, back when we thought the future was rosy and everything was going <laughs> to, it's hard to remember. But um, so that's been fun. Um, we were supposed to have a proper big bash wedding in Paris in last June, obviously canceled. Um, and it's been postponed to this June. Obviously, who the hell knows if that's going to even happen anymore. So in terms of like the unknown, it's just been a bit weird um, in terms of, yeah, I guess there's no wedding anymore. Um, uh, but it'll happen. You know, it'll happen just what is when, the, when the world is back to normal. Yeah. Ten years from now, we'll have kind of yeah, a, but... we'll renew our vow <laughs> in Las Vegas or something like that. Well, let's, uh, let's hope the vaccine rollout is faster than then. the fucking virus can slow down with its mutations. But anyway, yeah, go on. I know, I know. But yeah, man, no, um, I don't know what else to say there. <laughs> but, but, I mean, to me, it's been good. To me, it sounds it's like... It's weird being... Yeah, but to me, it sounds like that's that's like the right answer, I think. I think because a lot of people like have asked me this, right? Like, because we, we, we had a child uh, a year and a half ago. And oh God, that's right. Yeah, I, I haven't actually congratulated you in person. I don't think Congrats. so. <laughs> All good. All good. How's that? That's, 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 that is, that's the most amazing thing ever. I mean, it's there's no. I mean, there's. It's a singular experience. It's really weird to say that, but there's nothing else I can compare it to. It's like, what's it like being a dad? Uh, being a fucking dad. That's what it's like. <laughs> like, you know, because caring for another human being, it's just. Uh, the ultimate responsibility yeah and i think and i think it is very much so and 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 i think in a funny way the pandemic has been super tough but my life hasn't changed that much because i'm taking care of my child and uh, she goes to daycare for six hours a day i try to get something done and then i'm back home so <laughs> like like that hasn't yeah. changed much of course you know the social things scenes the social aspects have changed but and i think what's 
what's what's been great having it i mean there's all the cliches of becoming a dad and thinking about your life and you know sort of having a kid but they're all true like <laughs> i think i think it's it's all it's at least in my case right it's very much it's very much uh the first child for sure you know makes you reassess you know all all that legacy comes into play a little bit and and all that all that other stuff kind of starts creeping up in your mind so yeah do you care more about building something impressive or do you care less about all that stuff and more about just kind of like being a good dad i think there, it's twofold for me personally being being a good father is is number one now like there's no question it's mount everest right number one yeah and and in a funny way, because it's number one and because there's this clear focus on trying to become a better father every day, there's be there's more focus in everything else in a funny way. I think I, you've known me for a little bit, but I've done a lot of different projects in my life. I've had a lot of different uh, startups. I've done different projects. And I, I'm someone who gets very excited by the new and shiny thing. It's like, you know, this new idea, let's go build a, let's go build a fashion brand. Let's go launch a, Launch, launch another consumer SaaS company, whatever, whatever's interesting and cool. I don't have that luxury anymore. And, uh, and that has helped me focus into kind of going a little deeper into my per into myself and figure out what do I really want to do, you know, and what is, and, and at the same time, I need to, you know, I need to earn money. I need to sort of, you know, make, take care of all that, all that real, real life stuff. But it's really made for, for me, it's been a very good thing. It's been, it's been great to sort of, become really good at saying no to everything. Sorry, I can't come out ever <laughs> from this time to this time. That's just yeah. not going to happen. <laughs> you in 18 years. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if you, if you want to have a drink, sure. Uh, in, uh, the, the pandemic, no one's having drinks. But, you know, uh, after 9 p.m., sure. We can have a half an hour, one hour drink and then I got to sleep because she's yeah. going to wake up at four. So, you know. Do you think it's also like the not even, yeah, as you said, it's the pandemic too, right? Because like, I always thought, oh, I need to be where the action is. I need to be in the middle of a big global city, like where there's museums and like the latest attractions and people visiting. And like, and now in the past year, I'm, I'm like, oh, why don't I move to some like small city in the middle of nowhere? And, and, just, and I never in a million years thought that they would even cross my mind. I thought I'm a city guy. I need to be where the action's at. And now just literally from the pandemic and i imagine pandemic plus having a kid the the attraction of, of a environment like that is just not as strong um but i don't know yeah no I, I i you you're spot on right we've been talking about that a lot and and yeah who knows uh you know we'll we'll see how things go but definitely definitely there's but you're in a livable city yeah i mean copenhagen is pretty good like to be honest copenhagen I'm like you're not in yeah copenhagen's i mean i'm very lucky i think i sort of copenhagen's i bike everywhere you know i, I barely see a car <laughs> i'm joking there's there's cars <laughs> i'm not i'm not in a little village or something you know i'm no. in, uh, but 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 i think i think it's definitely one of the one of the better sort of capital cities in the world to live in for sure there's um you know i moved from amsterdam to an even smaller city <laughs> so yeah it's uh, it's not too bad no yeah and, I mean, right now I'm living in um, the kind of the city of London, as it were, like the actual financial. Oh, center are you in bar Barbican area or something? Where's that? At? I'm, in, yeah, I'm in the Barbican. I'm in the Barbican, um, which is completely surrounded by just empty office buildings. But it's still weird because, like, you yeah. look at your window and it's just skyscrapers. Um, and it's not 
a canal or like a lovely Danish cafe. It's like yeah. kind of giant buildings, and, which and is I, they're, they're empty at least. It's not filled with like office yeah. bros. <laughs> it's looking <laughs> a weird living. Yeah. But uh, and I mean, we've got to talk about one thing. You, you said office bros. I don't know why this made me think of your photography <laughs> for some reason. But um, but you're taking some awesome photos, dude. Like when did that? When did that start? And 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 you know. What is what's happening with that? That's that's really cool. I love your style. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, I've, I've just become obsessed with photography in the past couple of years. Um, I don't really know when it started, but uh, I'm obsessed with um, street photography. And if I could ever make a living from it, I'd probably do that, to be honest, mm. <laughs> um, or at least as a side hustle. But unfortunately, street photography doesn't. There's no money in that unless you um, really become a monk and dedicated to the craft and teach workshops and all that stuff. And I'm never going to do that. But yeah, there's well, it's a fun hobby. Yeah, there's this one British guy who does black and white stuff. I forget his name right now. He teaches for he teaches at Leica. I think he's a Leica ambassador or something like that. And I think, I think you know, to me, I I love photography as well. I got into it a little bit for a while, and then you know baby baby life sure. <laughs> so i don't get to go out to the streets as much uh but yeah i love i love the fact that you know i can scroll down your feed on instagram and it gives me a real feeling of being back in london kind of in in a very sort of because your because your photos are and we'll, we'll link to your instagram so people can see what we're talking about because your photos are very um in the moment kind of right yeah. isn't that kind of what you're going for it's not it's it's very it's very street style and that's not st street yeah. style but very street in that sense yeah i love crowds i love weird unexpected moments and hilarious contrasts between kind of like absurd things and um which is all a bit difficult during the pandemic because you can't get lost in a crowd and kind of see funny things that happen um and not unless you go to wuhan or something but <laughs> i mean you know you can go to some place in london with this crowd yeah. i don't really want to be there right now no. um so i'm just looking forward to kind of i just want to get on a plane go to bangkok and go or go to you know mumbai or go to like some place just that's not london and get lost and take photos that's I, like the biggest thing i can't let, wait to do yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be really fun once i mean travel is going to be travel is going to be super impacted when we get out of, i mean it's all i don't know how airlines are surviving already but people are traveling i guess right so there's 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 something happening but not everybody yeah i mean i haven't gotten on a plane since this is the longest in my life i've never flown it's uh, yeah. it's literally a year and three months since i got on a plane but you're right a lot of people i know are hopping on planes and traveling and are doing like cheeky holidays yeah and like not really posting about it on instagram <laughs> slyly and kind of like um but i've been a boy scout and i haven't my wife and i are just dying to go to some like asian city for like three weeks and not coming back and turning <laughs> off notifications and stuff yeah, that, uh, i don't know when that's gonna happen. maybe another four or five months to be honest for something like that yeah yeah i mean we're we've only got one thing planned to visit some friends but we're not even sure if we're going to do that because it's just it's just you never know things keep changing this one trip we we've postponed six times like luckily like luckily I, I kind of foresaw what might come a little bit so i bought the expensive ticket with whatever the you know the changing fee included or whatever it's called yeah and i think and i think it's been super it's been super it's been so crazy this trip is like a one-hour flight which a year and a half ago i would do twice a week maybe you know totally and and uh, and and 
it's it's kind of insane to think about what's happened uh, you know already so fast so yeah we'll let's let's hope i read a really crazy stat and i hope i'm not spreading like misinformation here because i i believe in i believe in like lockdowns and masks and all of this stuff and i take it really seriously but i read some stat that like only a handful of people have actually contracted covid on a flight that's been proven um and I, this was like from a really legit source and again i hope i'm not like misstating what i read but um they think that because of the you know the airflow how much it's recycled in the cabin and everything like that it's actually not super easy to get COVID on a flight but again yeah i, I haven't personally wanted to take the risk and kind of um no. you know in both contracting it or giving it to someone else so i just haven't done it no. um and obviously i know that there's still a risk so i haven't done it but it still made me think hmm, maybe i should have gone somewhere in the past year but I, alas yeah and I, I also think right there's there's two things there right one is of course it's it's important that the airlines really take every precaution i think they're doing that right so there's there's a good chance that they installed the most modern HEPA filters instead of the 20 year old HEPA filters, which they had before. So maybe there are some changes they've made there, hopefully. Uh, and everyone's wearing a mask uh, mandatorily. So that's great. But I think on top of that, right, again, I think what the pandemic and the and if we say the financial side of the pandemic has done is that there's going to be a lot of other forms of air travel coming up. So there's a company called Aero, A-E-R-O. I don't know if you heard of them. Uh, Aero.com. Calm, I think uh, it's it's uh, it started out in one of the coolest kind of venture studios, you know, like a real good one. It's by the it's by Garrett Camp, uh, the the founder of one of the whatever, sure. Uber and all that fun stuff. And 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 he's got and one. I mean, he's a great guy. I never met him in person, but he seems like a, seems like a nice guy. But he's got this knack of buying dot com domains, like the best dot com domains. Like I'm like. How did you buy? Like, how did you get this? Yeah. And and Arrow is 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 this kind of uh, semi-private uh, uh, between like popular cities uh, air travel, and I think it's like you know imagine if you had to take one flight a year. You know, wouldn't you want to be semi-private if it was like yeah. not super expensive? Just just as yeah. an example, and I think I think there's there's so much innovation that's going to come out of this pandemic, and and also. People are just going to go back to normal Ryanair very quickly as well. So I think there's, I hope, I hope everyone gets vaccinated. On that note, what what is the vaccine rollout like in London? Is there anything? Oh, the UK has been the the one of the very best of any quote unquote developed country. I think it's like Israel than the UK in terms of like the rollout. Oh wow! Um, one of the things they've, one of the few things I think the UK has actually gotten really right. It's um some crazy proportion of the population here has been vaccinated already um and I, I mean i haven't yet but um i'll probably i don't know when my time will come maybe in sometime in summer i guess um but yeah i mean that's that's been a big success story actually here that's awesome that's great um, to hear as opposed to a lot of european you know continental europe i know the rates are quite low um yeah it's super low but yeah uh, for various reasons i mean i know there's a lot of skepticism in some countries too like france where people just don't really buy into the whole idea of vaccinations but um but yeah. uk has done pretty well yeah i'm gonna have um i'm gonna have uh, um a spokesperson from the from the danish uh i think it's the thing they're called staten serum institute which is like the the research body here that that kind of has taken over public health uh related stuff 
I'm going to have someone from there on in a few weeks. It's going to be fun. Uh, just to kind of dig deep into this issue of kind of, you know, around vaccines, around like, you know, it's also really interesting to sort of think about this. A year ago, or not actually, no, whatever, nine, ten months ago, whenever the first lockdowns came about in Europe, we had no idea what this was, right? I remember being so scared to get out of my house, <laughs> yeah, uh, my, my apartment, just to kind of walk out, walk down the road to, you know, and and now we're at a point where we understand wear a mask, you know, keep, you know, cleaning your hands, safe distance from people. It'll be okay. And I think, yeah. And I think I'm just, I'm also just, I just want to learn more, you know, what is the latest research? Like what's actually happening on the ground? And that's changing every day with these new variants and all that. So it's just, just, you know, it's, it's a tough time, no matter what, uh, in terms of, in terms of the pandemic, but I'm, I'm looking forward and hoping that, you know, people can just set aside their politics and get over get over this as fast as possible. It could oh, be good. God, yeah. And listen to the experts, right? It's not, Yeah. I mean, just because you're smart at doing one thing does not mean you're smart at knowing about epidemiology. So that's just really the important thing about, you know, just listen to the people who know what they're talking about. You wouldn't trust a, a bus driver to do brain surgery. So why would you trust someone who's good at SaaS companies to tell you whether or not to get vaccinated? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and that's, that's and I think- what I believe. And I think that's I totally I totally agree with that. And I think you know I I unfollowed I think a hundred and fifty people on Twitter uh, <laughs> over the last year, uh, and and just because partly because of this, partly because people were just talking about stuff they had no idea about, and and my and my feed was full yeah. of full of crap. And I'm like, okay, I need to kind of rethink and, what and I'm consuming. Yeah, and I mean, and there's all these people who are like uh, credentialism, like anti, you know, just because you say you're so-and-so doesn't mean I should trust you. But it's like, well, that's the whole point of expertise is that you trust people who went to university for many years to study these things. And just because you are good at stats for baseball games doesn't mean you're good at looking at stats in relation to kind of COVID vaccine trials. It doesn't, um, you know, this, this generalism, which I believe you should be, you know, a deep generalism. You should like study other fields to know what you're talking about in your field. But when it comes to something like this, no, just stick to the experts. Yeah. Switching gears back to Courier, because I think one of the things which I really like, one of your latest covers was kind of this uh, teaching people how to start a business, right? Wasn't that one of your, the latest one? Is that so the... we came out with a, um, I've got it here actually. Uh, it's called How to Start a Business. It's basically our first um magazine book it's a um it's not part of the normal six a year that we put out on the newsstand this is kind of in addition to that it's a thicker book like magazine that you could buy and it's a 10-step guide to starting a new business um and that's been it stays on the newsstand for a lot longer you could buy it on our website too yeah um but it's it's just it's so cool like we're so happy with it how how did that come about because i i can imagine it's different from writing stories about entrepreneurs to writing a how-to guide, right? Well, I mean, not a how-to guide. I don't want to say it's a how-to no, guide. But. No, well, it is, there's a lot of how-to in it. It's kind of, I mean, the editorial team sat and thought for a very long time about how do we distill everything we know about, you know, launching a small business and putting it into a, yeah, a almost a how-to guide. It's a, it's a ten-step guide. Um, literally, we're starting with like, find find your idea. Um, you know raising money, getting support, and we broke it down into 10 steps. Um, and um, and then kind of 
find case studies to back it up and experts to like give their opinions and, and founder stories to add, you know, real authority and expertise. And, and we packed it all into this really quite amazing, thick, 10 step guide with like, it's a beautiful object too. We have like beautiful tabs. And, I'm, I'm definitely going to buy it. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to, I'll put a link as well in, but I definitely want to, I want to have that because I think also just, I mean, I've been building startups since I was 18, but right. no matter what, I think, you know, to me, it's, I, I consider the more I've done in this sort of world of building companies and startups, the less I know. <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's funny but it's like you know and that's the thing we're not you know we we say kind of up front there's no one way to, there's no one way to start a business at all i mean literally you could i mean there's a billion different ways to start a business you could keep it as a side hustle for your entire life and just have some nice passive income or you could like you know start a billion dollar company and get 30 million dollars in vc money i mean you know yeah we're probably not for those kind of people but you know you, you would still learn a lot from this book if you did want to go down that path and and i think and i think what's really interesting is that you know a lot of people who are great at one thing you know maybe they want to learn how to do something very different so there's a, a friend of mine jonathan who's hopefully going to be on the podcast uh i know he, he said he's, he said he wants to come we have to just find a time he's in the u.s so time zone stuff yeah. he was um he was one of the founders of uh of google docs google the company that google bought um, oh, wow. uh, that became Drive and Docs, and then he went on to be the chief product officer at Zapier, and now he's kind of, you know, just doing some advisory stuff. He's he's an amazing guy, and he told me he's he's as a side hustle. He's launched these he's launched these um, you know kind of music stands because he just wanted to use a three D printer and kind of put something. And I was like, that's amazing, you know. It's kind that's of cool, cool that it's kind of it's kind of cool that this guy who's one of the st- top top product guys in the world full stop wants to build wants to design and and sell you know um kind of homemade 3d printed um stands for 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 musical instruments or for mics mic stands and it's yeah that's amazing that's and that's kind of exciting the world we live in right now right and he might go and do something crazy in in tech later but he he wanted to try something else that's awesome that's a great that's a great thing that's what we love I mean, that's what I love personally, just kind of like, why not do that? You know, you don't have to, I don't have this like anachronistic obsession with like physical things at all or anything like that. I mean, but it is kind of cool that like, yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm a coder, but I'm going to build, you know, a, a furniture company on the side just to kind of, because it's my passion and maybe one day I'll make money from it. Or, um, I mean, so many people have started a side hustle in lockdown it's unbelievable and you know we've seen that just from like doing what we do just like all of our so many of our readers have just started something not necessarily out of necessity but just because you know they're home they see the world in a different way they've been inspired by you know new things because their environment's changed yeah um i want to i want to talk about because you come across so many small businesses and so many interesting companies interesting stories is there is there sort of a couple that stand out to you where you're like okay this was a really cool brand because they did something unique in an industry or because of the personal story of is it something that stands out because I think we're kind of I'm just tired of looking at the same damn brands all the time you know kind of <laughs> that spend millions and millions on Google AdWords or Facebook ads and I just want to talk about some new companies that are a bit smaller you know that are a bit more unique that make it a little bit harder to get their product, but that are just special. 
so if there's something that comes to mind, I'd love to love to talk about some of them. Um, and people should go buy the magazine to to read about all of them. But yeah, you know, I think yeah, we pack our pack our issues with those. Um, I mean, our last cover star, um, Amy from Arenda Tribe, is a good example. So like, she was a kind of you know high flying fashion executive living in L.A. Um, she designed. I mean, she says out, outwardly, you know, she designed like fast fashion destined for a landfill, I think was uh, what she said. What was that? Sorry? And then, you know, fast fashion, uh, like that was kind of like destined for a landfill. Oh, destined for landfill. Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, fast fashion. And she ended up tracking down her roots. Um, and her mother was um, Native American, uh, but she never kind of, Amy never knew much about that side of her history she kind of vaguely knew about it but she had a kind of revelation that she wanted to um move to new mexico so she moved to albuquerque um yeah she quit her job moved to albuquerque started this company called arenda tribe and basically she upcycles really beautiful old fabric and textiles and you know upcycles it into new things and sells it on the site uh, and it's become this like amazing brand um the the pieces she makes are absolutely beautiful but she also gives back a lot of money uh and time and and has worked in a lot of initiatives to the um the dine the navajo people which is who she belongs to um she does amazing work and she raises a lot of money and she does all this amazing activism for the community which was particularly hard hit during COVID, um, Navajo Nation was, and Native Americans in general were. But um, yeah, so that's just one example of like an awesome company, um, you know, doing something she loves, but is also doing something really good for the world. Doesn't, you know, get as much, nearly as much attention as she should um, doing it, but it's just one of those brands. So I love companies like that. I mean, I love companies that you know, do well by doing good. Um, that's one example of just an awesome brand. Um, that's really cool. I just like brands who like do one thing really well. So like, yeah. you know, Dave Hyatt from Hyatt Denim. I don't know if you know the, the denim brand, um, Hyatt Denim and Wells, but you know, they're obsessed with like do one thing. Well, that's just a real, that's a, a philosophy. I just love, you know, you yeah, don't have too. to do everything in the world. Just make a product that people want that does something really well that, maybe gives back to the world in some way and become known for that one thing. Um, you know, in Dave's case, he started, he bought, he, he basically saw this Welsh town, Cardigan, um, in Wales. And Wait, there's a town called Cardigan? Yeah. Oh, that's so yeah. cool. <laughs> and there was a lot of, um, and I hope I'm not getting this story completely wrong, but there was a, a lot of workers uh, who are out of work from a denim factory I believe there was a factory with a lot of workers out of work and he basically moved into the town, put these people back to work, making amazing jeans, denim, um, and it's called Hyatt denim. And now wow. it's like the best company. It's like the, the coolest company, Hyatt denim. And, um, and he's gone on to do other things. He's launched, you know, um, this real great event series called the do lectures. Oh yeah. I've heard of that. People up to, up to Wales and talk about cool things and, it's just companies like that I absolutely love. Yeah. They they do something great. They make an, an amazing quality product, and um, you know, there's not a there's not a venture capitalist in sight. <laughs> <laughs> Again, VCs, we love Bootstrap. you. But... <laughs> for, the, for the majority, of the world, bootstrap, bootstrap. yeah, bootstrap companies. You know, you, 
keep keep it simple, keep it small, but build something. You could keep build a big thing without external investment. And I mean, I mean, there's so many examples of that, right? As well. And I think, to me, what's 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 really fun about almost you know these these singular professionals, if you want to call it that, right? People create you know special brands because you know they they have a have a passion for it and they have a vision of something different in the world. Like, how can you not love that? It's I mean, I think all of these not all some of these bigger companies that exist now like levi's and all these other companies started off like that right and and i think 120 200 years ago whatever it was and i think there's there's just a story it's a brand at the end of the day is story right so you're putting sure. a, you're putting a garment on you or or you're buying a product that you use every day and you want to be associated with something um more than just uh chinese uh children making your product so i think that's uh Definitely. I mean, look at Patagonia, you know, it's a great example of a company that was built from w one man's, you know, vision, although at first he didn't really know where it would go, obviously, but he's built a company that just like has kicked ass values, um, a really good just philosophy on life and, and the environment. And, um, and sure, they're a big company and they make a lot of products and, you know, they're, they're not small in any way anymore, but they've still kept that kind of philosophy going and, and ethics and values. Yeah, but they're also a big company with an attitude, and I think that's nice. I, I mean, I'm just yeah. I mean, it's just fun when you uh, some of the tweets that they put out, kind of about the about the former president and all the other stuff that they were doing. It just, I just, I like it when someone takes a stand, you know, instead of always yeah. appeasing uh, everybody or you know. And I think that's uh, um, that's nice. And how how are things? Uh, look at Ben and Jerry's. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> ben and Jerry's. Look at look at Ben and Jerry's. They're like down with white supremacy you know post, <laughs> like literally like as as fervently activist as you can get and it's amazing but they don't they don't care about you know some alt-right troll replying to them and saying you know who do you think you are i mean they just say what they believe and if they lose any customers which i doubt they did because you probably don't have many crazy right-wing people buying ben and jerry's anyway but if they did i mean it's it's worth it because it grounds you in values that you'll bring in more customers because of that you know what i mean yeah exactly and i think part of part of also what what's really fun about about the space you're in and you've been in for a while i think it's just that it's such a strong connection between the person who has the idea or or or, or sees a problem and the product that you interact with every day and i think that's kind of all that's also very interesting there's this you know the, there's a strong connection there where you're you're seeing something in the world that somebody thought of and and to me it's 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 also it's also really just in a way it's it's you know important to represent um the right values in the world right and i think we represent our values with what we buy in how we talk about stuff um you know there's so many things and i think we were kind of lost in the paradox of choice these days there's so many <laughs> options in the world there's a new thing for everything and i think it's almost nice to go back down to simplicity and say okay do you do one thing well? Great. I want to buy your product. That's it. Simple. Totally. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, I, and I've been guilty of kind of being obsessed with all these new D2C brands on Instagram and everything the past couple of years. But, and a lot of them are really great. Don't get me wrong. A lot of them are awesome companies, but there's just so much choice now. I mean, if you want a cookware brand, there's now 70 brands that do direct to consumer cookware brands. And it just, there's so much. It's just so many, so much choice. So, that's why I just love these kind of like almost old school companies that just do something awesome. You know, they'll probably be around for another 15 years and it's not a flash in the pan kind of thing. Yeah. 
and um and they're grounded in you know legitimate mission missions and values yeah awesome hey daniel this has been i mean so much fun it's just just you know tons of fun yeah talking to you and and, and thanks again for taking the time this this was really cool um I'm going to link everything I can remember <laughs> down in the show notes. Thanks, man. <laughs> whatever, whatever I forget, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, pause uh, and look it up on Google or DuckDuckGo or Start Page or whatever else you want to use. Uh, um, Send me my Venmo. You can get my bank details. Yeah, yeah I'll, fig- I'll figure it all out. I'll, 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 I'll link whatever you want me to link, dude. Uh, uh, but I think uh, as, a, as a sort of, um, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to close this in many ways, but... I think I want to close today by just sort of, you know, really thanking you for doing what you've done for the last decade. And I know it's, I don't want to make this all weird, but, you know, the shows you put out, the things you've been doing, you know, putting yourself out there in different formats for, for a random guy like me who now considers you a friend. It's just kind of been fun to be inspired by the random stories that I've been seeing all the way from the entrepreneurs to everything on career now. And, and everything else so it's fun dude uh stay in touch uh and uh let's do this in person next time either in copenhagen or london hopefully hopefully That's when fine. the pandemic is finished and we'll drink some whiskey beer wine whatever and talk about some fun stuff so yeah i'll cool. meet you in copenhagen man that'd Absolute be cool pleasure. anytime we'll drink some empirical spirits uh That's uh, an example of good guys doing yeah awesome they're great things. they're great I'm, I'm hopefully gonna try to get them on the show soon so that'd be fun awesome. thanks a lot daniel it was fun Awesome, man. Cool. Cool. Talk soon, man. Talk soon. I'm just going to... Boom.